Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. This is not your home. You know, a lot of times we get overwhelmed in situations and that, you know, the devil wearies you in well-doing. And I think a lot of it is because he gets you so focused on the here and the now. And it's always just a freeing revelation to remember this is not your home. I think we exhaust ourselves trying to build a home here. We're, we're trying to build a home in Satan's kingdom and we were never meant to. We're just passing through. We're preparing for there, not here. We weary ourselves trying to build something great here instead of focusing on where we're going. So we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians 4. 16 and 18. Well, there you go. That's how I got the lesson because that's the first thing mine opened up to, too. So, <laughs> uh, 16 through 18. You know, we've been a lot kind of touching on end times and revelations and all of that. And Daddy made mention Sunday that this is the most encouraging lesson you can get, and it's true. We're supposed to encourage each other. That's what. Paul said, encourage, comfort each other with these words, talking about that the Lord's going to come. You're not always going to be here. He's going to come. He's going to meet you in the air. We have a hope of a blessed future. There is a kingdom coming, and there is a kingdom of heaven that we are a part of. We are not of this world, Scripture says. And those words should be a comfort. You know, when a person passes on, if, they're, if they've died in Christ, you know, it says the dead in Christ shall rise. This is a comfort that we will see them again. We need to comfort each other with the words that there's something more that we're attaining to and not be so focused on the here and now. That's where you get discouraged. When you're trying to build a kingdom here, when you're trying to make things work out here and don't have your focus on what's coming, you get discouraged because everything here is going to fail at some point or another. Every hurt, trial, hardship, frustration, and exhaustion can be overcome and brought back into perspective by remembering that this is not our home. We aren't living for now. We are not building our future here. Sin, disobedience, rebellion, and discouragement comes when you try to make your home here. And that was kind of a revelation that God kind of gave me this morning in, in, in showing me these things. It's, it's really a breath of fresh air to just remember. This is not your home. Everything that we do that is wrong in the sight of God can usually come back to actions that we take trying to build our home here when really that's not what it's about. In these times, say this to yourself. This world is not my home, so why am I trying to make my home here? When we get the wrong jobs, when we get into the wrong ministries, when we get into the wrong relationships, when we get overwhelmed, it's always because we're trying to make our home here. We're trying to build a kingdom here. It's never meant to be. So 
Remember, this world is not my home, so why am I trying to make my home here? Your home is where your heart is, right? That's what the plaque says. Home is where the heart is. That's what they say. So Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And this actually, even though it seems like his thought process has changed, he's actually still talking about not laying treasures up for yourself. He's basically saying whatever you set your focus on is going to fill your whole body. If you put your focus on earthly things, your, your whole body is going to react and act and be filled with the lust of those earthly things because the thought process continues. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. So he's still on the same thought process. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon is most commonly um, interpreted as referring to money, and it does apply, but it actually, is, in context of this, refers to really anything physical, any treasure that you hold. If your property is your treasure, if your kids are your treasure, if your spouse is your treasure, if your money is your treasure... If your job title is your treasure, you know, whatever that treasure is, it's still becoming an idol that still applies to you. To man, you can't serve both. (laughs) (laughs) You can't serve both. (laughs) She's like, where are you going? But you cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? So if your your body, your life, he's saying the, the existence that you live, isn't it more than food and clothes? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic to his stature? And what he's really saying is, will, will worrying really change anything? And why take ye thought for Raymond, which is clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these And that's actually saying a lot, because remember that Solomon was recorded as being the richest man 
ever, the richest king ever, it says in scripture, ever to that point or ever would be. So he really was the richest person ever to live. And God considers all that he had to clothe himself to not be compared to the lily of the field. That is awesome. Wherefore, if God also clothes the grass of the field, which to this day is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now there's about four different packets in here that most people will teach individually, but when you look at it as a whole, the whole thought process is really about not worrying about building things here. And not just even monetary things, but physical things in general, things of the world. We look at it monetarily, but it's really, God knows your need. He'll give us what we need when we're seeking him. We seek him first and his righteousness and everything else will line up. There were men in the Bible, and we've covered that, that had great wealth. But it's really because they cared nothing about the wealth. They cared about God, and as they followed God, the blessings followed them. The problem is is that the modern church is following the blessings and hoping that Christ is going to follow them as they follow the blessings. It's not going to work that way. The blessings will follow you as you follow Christ. It's it's not going to happen the other way around. And your priority can never be your blessings. The priority always has to be God and his righteousness. The truth of the matter is it's seeking God. And that's why he ends the thought with seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because God's going to tell you what to do. There's those that are going to sit back and say, well, God didn't tell me to do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. But that's not true. God's always telling you to do something. But it's seeking him for where he wants you to do, how he wants you to do, what he wants you to do. If God wants you to be in ministry in this middle backwoods town or this third world country where it doesn't seem like there's job opportunity, you got to walk in faith and go and he will provide the job when you get there. Might not be a job you like, but you humble yourself and do what he, what he tells you to do. He will provide. He'll supply the needs. Maybe not all the wants, but he'll supply the needs. But the key is to seek first the kingdom of God. And I think the issue with American Christianity, if not modern Christianity, is that it's very selfish. They're always seeking gifts and blessings and monetary gains and prosperity. They're chasing after what they can get out of it. And, you know, a lot of people, they put on a show or an air of being saved, but they're really not because they never came to it for God. They came to it for what they could get out of God. Yeah. So, That's why most people backslide. Right. Because if they're sold on a selfish gospel, when selfishness isn't fulfilled, they walk away. Right, when a more selfish opportunity presents itself. Right. You know, the manna that God had given me yesterday, it kind of all falls in line with this. It was about, um, the title was Gaining Glory or Glorying in Gain. And at at first I was going to title it Gaining God or a God of Gain, (laughs) because really that's what a lot of people are really after, a God of Gain. They're wanting a God that will serve them 
a God that will help them gain what they want. Rather, it's a relationship. A lot of times you'll see people really just chasing God because they're praying for God to give them that girl or that boy that they wanted. Sometimes you'll see them chasing God because they want to pray for a job position. They're chasing God because they want a ministry that they can be Lord over. You know, it's there's all these different things that they're doing for selfish reasons. It's not for the kingdom to come. It's for the kingdom they can build now. And really, that's a great discernment over whether or not somebody is truly being led of the Holy Spirit or led of their own desires. Is what they doing meant to build something here or is it meant to build something greater for God? We look at this passage as as being just the monetary. Uh, you know, talk about the treasures, your store of treasures in heaven. Okay, well, it's talking about your house and, and all that stuff. You put your, you know, your hope in this stuff. But even in what I think a lot of people consider their spiritual treasures, what is the motivation behind it? Is it still for gain? You know, like, like you said, we want God, I'll say we, but a lot of people who claim to be Christian, really they're in it to see how much God can serve them. They don't have the mindset of, God, what do I need to do today? What do you want me to do today? It's the genie in the bottle. you know. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, take no thought for tomorrow because you know he's going to take care of it. When we are seeking him first, his righteousness, his kingdom, what he wants us to do, all of these other things are going to fall in line because if we're seeking him, he's going to tell you, hey, I need, this is the job that I have for you. Hey, this is the person that I have for you to minister to. Hey, this is the place that I want you to be. All of those things will come the right way, even if it's a humble version of it, but it's going to come if you're seeking him. You walk in accordance with God's will, with your focus on him and let everything that he has come and line up to you because he will supply the need to do the work that he calls you to do. We seek him first. You know, the scripture says, seek ye first. That word first, underline it, highlight it, do what you got to do. First, not after the dishes are done. We seek you first, not after the grass is cut. We seek you first, not after you've worked in the garden or tended to your livestock. Seek ye first, Amen. not after you've gone to work. Seek ye first, not after you've checked Facebook, the game scores, or your text messages. Seek ye first, not after you've started dating that boy or girl. Seek ye first, not after you move or buy that house. Seek ye first, not after you accept that new job position or promotion. We like to think that God comes before our job, our money, our kids, our spouse, our home, our entertainment, and ourselves, and that we would give it all up for him if we had to. But the Bible says that's not enough. Seeking him has to come before all those things too, or else we've already given him up. Maybe not in word, but indeed, we have chosen our treasure, and our heart has proven its priority. You will put first what you love most. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what do you treasure? You know, the Bible says search your heart. We have to examine our own hearts sometimes, and that's a good way to examine it. What do we put first? What do we put before the time that we spend seeking him? You know, we say we put God first. Oh, yeah, God is before my job. If they came and told me that I had to deny Christ, I would give up that job. But what about every single day when you put it before 
your time with him. You know, you're already denying him. You know, oh, well, I would never put my relationship before God, but what about all the time that we deny God when he calls us or tells us to do something for time with relationship? God has to come first. And all these things will come after. The things that are right for us will come. You know, God will send the right relationship. God will send the right job. He will send the right property. He will send the right calling and gifting when we seek him first. When we don't seek him first, you know, that scripture and that sermon Danny did about, you know, he did evil in the sight of the Lord because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. If we're not seeking him, we're going to make the wrong choices. So we will, by default, do evil even though we don't mean to. Because when we do it in our own understanding, we're going to mess up. Only God is smart enough to know what is the right thing to do. Open to 1 John 2, 15. 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And, you know, that something really kind of stood off the page to me when I read this for the first time. When he's saying the pride of life right there, it's anything you are trying to build in your life that you're proud of. The pride of life. If you're proud of anything in life other than God, then that is the pride of life. If you're proud of, of your property, of what your property has become, that's a pride of life. You know, if you're proud of your kids to in an ungod you know to an ungodly level, then that's that's a pride of life. Whatever gets in the way of obedience to God that you're proud of has become proud. First John chapter two verse fifteen. Because remember, we're talking about where your heart is. Everything that we do, whether it's sin, rebellion, disobedience, or even just discouragement, can be traced back to things that we're doing trying to build a home here. If you love the things that are here. You can't love the things that are there because they're always in opposition to each other. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. In other words, this is temporary. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Little children, it is the last times. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Don't ever endanger your eternal destiny for a temporary pleasure. This world will pass away. Even if you were granted life as long as the earth is here and you were promised to be king of the earth as long as the earth, it's still temporary. Even the earth itself will pass away. This passage ends with something that is very interesting in the point that it makes when it says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. This implies that this love of the world, this materialism attitude, this wanting to build a kingdom here, puts you in danger of falling subject to the Antichrist, and we'll see why. It says, even now there are many Antichrists, which is the spirit of Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last times. Now, Paul was referring to here to say that there is an Antichrist coming. There is this figure, the Antichrist. But even now, there are many Antichrists. There are many operating under the spirit of Antichrist. 
And he's tying them together with this mentality of having a love for the things of the world. Why do you think that is? You really think about it. What is the key that the Antichrist uses to identify those that are in his kingdom? Is the mark of the beast. If you don't take his mark, you can't buy, sell, or trade. You won't be able to build your kingdom here if you're part of if you don't become part of his kingdom. So, those that seek to build worldly kingdoms or to make this world their home in any form are being misled, manipulated, or right out controlled by the spirit of Antichrist and will fall to the actual Antichrist when he appears. Materialism will march millions towards the mark of the beast, while the absence of materialism will march the rest towards martyrdom. Everyone knows that the mark is bad, but materialism will be the deciding factor in who takes it anyway. Everybody knows the mark is bad. When you talk about what the mark of the beast is, oh, I'll never take that, I'll never take that. But when you tell somebody, well, you don't get any more air condition, they're going to take it. You can't have your fancy, you're going to lose your property, you're going to lose, you know, that's when people are going to give up, they make excuses. Even now, things that we know that are leading towards that in the workplace, we people justify it to maintain it because of the materialism aspect <laughs> of it. And that's where all of this ties into, and you can see that Antichrist spirit operating in the church at large when you have the entire church structure, structuring people's spirituality around this concept of give me, of prosperity, of serve me, of what I can get out of it, of how I can better build my kingdom. Think about it. The true gospel is all about how we can better build God's kingdom and prepare for eternity, how we can store up treasures in heavens, what we can do here to humble ourselves and to serve others so that we can have a better uh, resurrection, a better place in heaven. But the, the spirituality that you see now is more focused on how you can better build your kingdom here, how you can get more blessings here, how you can pray for prosperity here, how you can build your ministry here, how you can get you know a Corvette and a jet and a little bit bigger bank account if you sow $1,000 a seed, you're going to get all of your bills paid off. It's all about how you can build your kingdom better here. That's the spirit of Antichrist because it's preparing them. The more you build treasures here, the more your heart is going to be here and the less likely you are to step away from it when the Antichrist says, give it all up or take the mark. You're going to take the mark to keep your treasure because that's where your heart is. And the church has helped you build the treasure house. So it's a very bad setup. It's the spirit of Antichrist, which always operates within the church. In fact, I don't know if I have it. I think I might. But if you continue reading on from that passage that we were just in a little bit further, he actually says that spirit of Antichrist came out of the church. He says they were once with us, but they were never part of us, and they went out from among us. That spirit of Antichrist has always operated from within the church structure. If, go ahead and read it. Verse 19 said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Right. So God drove them out to make it make them realize that they were never really part of them. There are those who will come among the church who will present themselves as saved who never were saved. It doesn't apply to everybody, but there are those who really never were saved. And I'll give you an example. Ashley sent me 
um, a video on Facebook of this guy who was ex-preacher, denounces Bible, and explains why it's not true, or he never explained anything. All he did was get on there and rant about how he was a preacher, and I know y'all all saw me praising the Lord all these years, and he gave off some really big clues about that he was never actually saved to begin with, you know, and he says, but I now know that the Bible is absolutely not true, never gave a single reason why. And he and he understands that you might be mad because you don't know as much as he knows because he has researched all this. But you know, he's like, oh, he's like, I'm, you know, and I preached and I was doing the Christian rap and I was dancing and I was doing all this stuff and I know y'all saw me praising the Lord and then the flags are going off. This guy was never saved to begin with. It was always a show about what he can gain and how much attention he could get from the people. And he just found a better way to get attention because now the shock of, oh, big pastor, you know, this big video about a pastor that denounces the Bible gets him more attention. So his pursuit was always gain. He just found a better way to get the gain of the attention that he wanted. He knows the platform. He just found a bigger one. Exactly. So he was never really saved to begin with. And that's not to say that everybody who falls was never saved. Some people genuinely are, and they just fall away. I think it's very important to understand this and to remember this and to constantly remind ourselves of this because even genuinely saved people at some point, the devil is always going to start to twist you in that direction, and you're going to have to check yourself. And God's going to, you know, give you those gut checks to be like, hey, you know, time to refocus. Where is your priority here? So... I think it's important to know and to raise our kids up not to be materialistic because it will set them up to fall to the Antichrist. Having a self-serving nature is going to make them very easily led or misled by the devil because he's always going to promise whatever their self wants. So these are important things. I would say whether you raise your kids to treasure getting what they want so they can build their own kingdom here or raise them to treasure seeking God and the kingdom of God will likely determine whether or not they will take the mark when that day comes. And likewise, whether we allow the focus of our own hearts to remain on building a home and future for ourselves here rather than in glory will likely determine whether or not we take it when that day comes. You've got to be willing to give it all up. And again, that goes back to me, to the seek ye first, seek ye first, seek ye first. We can preach it all we want and we can say, oh, I'll give it all up. I'll give it all up. But if you won't even give it up now to seek him first, you won't give it up. We can, you can say it however much you want. You won't give it up. Yeah. If you won't give up your entertainment to seek him first now, you won't give it up then to deny the mark. Right. If you won't give up you know, whatever that thing is that's keeping you from that seeking that time, if you're still feeding self now, mm-hmm. you're not going to give up what feeds self then. Yeah. And remember, it's all about him and building the kingdom to come. And we're talking about the mark of the beast right here, right? If your money is your treasure, you'll take the mark of the beast to keep your money. If your job is your treasure, you'll take it to keep your job. If your home is your treasure, you'll take it to keep your home. If your spouse is your treasure, you'll take it to keep your spouse. If your kids are your treasure, you'll take it to keep your kids. If your ministry is your treasure, you'll take it to keep your ministry. But if God is your treasure, you will refuse it to keep your God. And that's the only thing. Revelations 13. Sorry. Revelations 13:11. And I beheld another beast come up 
out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. In other words, it looked like Jesus, but it talked like the devil. And he ex exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth that them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name so if you don't take the mark of the beast you cannot be materialistic and that's what it boils down to that's why everything in society and religion is focused at making people materialistic making people selfish making people used to getting what they want hey it's mcdonald's or burger king or whoever it is it's your way right away right as long as you got the mark anyway Remember, only those who refuse to make their bed in the kingdom of Satan will rest their head in the kingdom of God. Now, if I post this on Facebook, they'll be like, oh man, they're extremists. But when you read it in context of the mark of the beast, remember it says that if you don't accept it, you can't buy, sell, or trade. And he's going to kill those that don't accept it. So... For those that have the theology that you cannot lose your salvation, the Bible is clear. If you receive the mark of the beast, you will not go to heaven. Right. Even if you were saved before. And that again is a danger of that theology because people who truly believe they can't lose their salvation, if they're faced with the threat of death or losing you know, their family or kids or whatever, they'll think, well, I can't lose my salvation, so I'll just get it. I'll just take it. The Bible is absolutely clear that if you receive the mark willingly, you can't go to heaven. You're not saved anymore. Remember the lesson that we did about earth is Satan's kingdom. He is the God of this world. This is his kingdom. We're not meant to inherit this kingdom. We're inheriting the kingdom of God. It's a greater kingdom. It's a better kingdom. We have to refuse to be part of this kingdom. We are not of this world. We're only passing through in order to inherit a better kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. Revelations 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. These are those that refused to make their bed in the kingdom of Satan. We've got so many people trying to build their kingdom here. That's why they're constantly making wrong decisions. When your focus is on God's kingdom and building your bed in eternity, 
you're going to make the right decisions. You're going to be led of the Spirit here. But when your focus is trying to build your kingdom here, trying to build your future here, trying to build you know, a permanent home psychologically here, you're going to always make the wrong decisions being led of the flesh because this is Satan's kingdom. We have this mentality that everything we do is to build our future here. You know, our schooling, our college, our, you know, 401ks, our insurance, our job, our retirements, everything we do is really focused on building our future here. We put very little time and energy into building our future for eternity in comparison to what we do here. And though there are needs here, when we seek God first, he will supply all of those needs. He will provide, but he has to be priority in doing his kingdom. And that goes back to the seeking him first, seeking him before we do all of these other things or putting him ahead of the time that we spend. You know, it's like tithing. I've said it before. You can't say, okay, well, I'm going to pay all of my bills and buy all of my groceries and do everything that I need to do. And then at the end, whatever's left, I'm going to tithe out of. The devil's going to make sure there's never anything left by the time you get to the end. But if you tithe first, then God says he'll rebuke devour and he'll make sure that there's enough to cover the rest because that's how the Holy Spirit works. And it's the same thing with time. He'll do it to you. If you say, okay, well, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to do the dishes and I'm going to cut the grass and I'm going to do my work and I'm you know, going to watch my show and I'm going to get all this done and then right before bed I'm going to have time to spend with God. The devil's going to make sure you have no time to do it and you're going to fall asleep two minutes into your prayer. But if you give God the time first, he'll make sure you have the time and the energy to get everything else done. And here's one of the reasons why it'll happen by default because if you've already spent that time with God, the devil's not going to waste his time trying to eat up your time because he's doing it pointlessly, just like your money. It doesn't pay for him to waste time trying to eat up your money when you've already given your time to God. But if you haven't given your time to God yet, he's going to use the resources to eat up your time and your energy to make sure that you don't give it to God. I can tell you that just with our, our crops. Before all this bad weather came, me and Danny double tied. And even through 20-degree weather, our trees that the blossoms should have burnt off in the freeze, they're still full of blossoms. There's so much fruit, we don't have room to put it up. We like have the freeze. We have pears coming out. I don't know if you know, because there's even one pear tree. We've got actual pears coming out. Yeah, like God will really rebuke the devourer. It's, it's a promise. And the funny thing about the tithe promise is that it's actually a promise that applies specifically as it states. It's not even to the saved. He doesn't even give you the condition of if you walk in righteousness or if you are my children. He just says, if you do this, I will do this. That's why you see a lot of evil people still giving to charity and big companies because they know there's a principle that he will still bless. He'll open up the storehouses of heaven. There is only Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. You know, we get to choose which side we're going to be on. We can stay below with Satan in his kingdom where the angels are above us and he has control over us. Or we can choose to be raised, risen with Christ and we'll make the, he'll make the enemy our footstool. We'll be above and not below. We'll be part of his kingdom. There is only Satan kingdoms and God's kingdom. You don't have one. So stop trying to build one. Any action you take trying to build your own kingdom only serves to build Satan's kingdom. However, if you will serve God selflessly in faith, then you will inherit the kingdom of God. So the only way you get to share in a kingdom 
as if you inherit the kingdom of God. Because if you try to build your own, then you'll just end up being a servant in Satan's kingdom. So do you want to be a servant in Satan's kingdom or a son in God's kingdom? That's your only options. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just spout it out really quick to prove the point. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunken, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then that's echoed in Galatians 5.19 when it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, which is drugs, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, don't be found on the wrong side at the end of this war. There's only two kingdoms. But you're going to be on one side or the other. So when this war ends, make sure you're not on the wrong side. James 4, 3 and 4 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God, which means to be an enemy of God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Why? Because there's a war between two kingdoms. And you're either part of Satan's kingdom. If you're trying to build your own kingdom here, remember this is Satan's kingdom. You're just trying to be a governor in Satan's kingdom. Or are you working... For God's kingdom. When the war is over and we know how it's going to end, you want to be on the right side. You want to be working for the kingdom of God. And the scriptures are very clear that if you're not in God's kingdom, you are the enemy of God because you are in a war and there's only two kingdoms. Philippians 3 18 through 21 says, and this is a good one, Philippians 3 18 through 21, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul is saying I'm even crying. He is literally crying and trying to warn them of these people. That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. So who is an enemy of Christ? Those that love the world. Those that are materialistic. Those that want what they want. Their God is their belly. In other words, they just want to satisfy their own lust, whatever they want, whether it's food, whether it's sensual, whether it's material, whether it's emotional, whether it's attention, whatever it is, they just want to satisfy their own lust. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. These are the enemies of God. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto the glorious body, which is the glorified body, 
according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. This actually refers to the end of the battle because it talks about those who shall change our vile bodies. He's talking about there's two different people in this fight. He says, I've warned you with weeping and with tears. And he said it in another place too. He says that I cease not to warn you day and night about these people that will lead you astray from the faith to, to go after your own lusts and your own desires. He's saying there's two people. There's the enemies of the cross of Christ, which is anybody that will tell you to do what you want to do, to do what feels good to you, to follow your emotions or your desires or the lust of the flesh or the pride of life. If you mind earthly things, if you put that priority, then those are the people that are the enemy of Christ. But if you will put your conversation or your intention and even your speech your focus on heavenly things, on the kingdom to come, then these are the ones that are waiting for Christ and they will be changed. They will get their glorified body and they will. And God is able, he's saying, even to change who you are and make you somebody who will be able to put away the lust of the flesh because he is able to do all things. This is um, a verse you might want to highlight for somebody that might tell you it's impossible to live holy because the last line of it says... Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto a glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In other words, he's able to do it. It's impossible with man, but with God all things are possible. So remember, we are just passing through and we're almost done. Hebrews 13, 12. And again, I just keep saying, you know, remember, remember, remember. Not only is this kind of a, you know, check yourself, make sure that you don't fall into the enemy's camp, but it's also an encouragement for those who are heavenly minded. You know, remember, remember, remember. Because not only does it cause you to sin and to stumble, it causes you to get discouraged. Because we can't build a home here. We get discouraged trying to work things out here. And when you get overwhelmed and you get tired, it's really because you're laboring to build a kingdom here. And if you could just remember, wait, mm -mm, I'm just passing through. All I got to do is take my orders, do what he tells me to do. He's going to take care of me along the way. This is not my home. If I obey him, he's going to build me a better place in the, you know, in that, in glory. And I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. I'm just passing through. It's okay. I go back to that verse about, you know, a spoiled child and we think of it cute and they make little t-shirts you know spoiled by grandma and whatnot it's like you know when food is spoiled you have to throw it away because it's no more good use to anything it's like it's really not a cute thing we make it a cute thing but it's not a cute thing when he says spoiled he means that it is of no more use it's a waste so for us it's a it's a process to kind of make sure that our mindset stays out of that but we have the ability in our children to, to raise them up to not be like that. And it's a good thing to always try to do with, and even if it's not your kids, you know, like the little boys that, you know, Dylan kind of ministers to. And if you can work that into the life of a kid whose parents aren't teaching them that, that's a good thing. You know, I know there's been a couple of times when they, they asked for money and Dylan took them to go shovel gravels. Didn't need the gravels, but he just wanted to teach them that, you know, you work for what you get. And so even in kids that are not your own, that, don't have that home life it's good to try to put that in them because that will go further when they're older than a lot of the lessons they sit under that go in one ear and out the other
So, all right, Hebrews 13 and 12 says, remember, we're just passing through. It says, wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, let us go forth, therefore, into unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Um, and the passages leading up to this was talking about how the sacrifice always was sacrificed outside of the camp, outside of the city, and likewise, Jesus was sacrificed outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Um, we're at 13 right now. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So, so we're going to follow after Christ and we're going to bear the reproach of it because we have no city here. We have no home here, but there is, but there is one to come. We seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Remember, it's all about gaining that city to come. So praise him continually, even though you may not seem like you have a home. Remember, the Son of God had no place to lay his head, but he was going to a better kingdom. So he never made a home here. He was preparing for one there, and we're going there too. First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you at as strangers and pilgrims. In other words, he's saying, I greet you as though you are strangers and pilgrims. We're just passing through. Pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversations honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he's saying, we're just pilgrims, we're just passing through, and so are you. But while you're here, do good works and let the sinners see it, that they might be saved and give God glory in the day of visitation. He's talking about when Christ returns, when we get that reward. If we're only passing through, then why live as though we are preparing to stay? Remember, this is not your home. Stop trying to homestead in Satan's kingdom. You're only passing through and trying to pick others up along the way. If you're not staying here, then you need to be prepared at all times to leave. Yes. And so we are going to close this with 2 Peter verse 3, uh, chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought we to be with all holy conversation and godliness? Remember, everything will be destroyed, and when you remember that, it should always color your character and your conversation with godliness looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, behold, 
seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unestablished rest, which means wrestle with, as they do also and the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also be led astray with error of the wicked, and fall from your own steadfastness. In other words, be careful, or you'll lose your salvation, and you'll lose your inheritance in the kingdom of God. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.